You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. I've got a very important question for you, a really important question. What was the first piece of music that you ever fell in love with? The first piece of music that you played over and over and over and over again. In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them the first piece of music that you fell in love with. All right, you've got 10 seconds, go. All right, everyone, I, I hear a lot of joy in your voices. I hear a lot of joy. Use that after the service to get to know someone. Just say, what was your favorite piece of music? Well, as for me, my first favorite piece of music, my nan gave me a copy of the Backstreet Boys, Backstreet's Back. And I played that over and over and over again in our home. Sam is sitting here in the front row going... That does make a lot of sense now. That explains so much. But that's what I did. I played it over and over and over again until it didn't just become something I knew. It became something that I love. That's what you do when you get a piece of music that you love. You play it over and over and over again. Well, this morning we celebrated three baptisms of Zachary, of Nathan, and Isaac. And what baptisms are are a sign. They point to something greater, something big, something good, something incredible. They point to the good news of Jesus. It's what we might call the gospel. The gospel is good news. It is first and foremost news. It is important news. Stop what you're doing news. We interrupt this broadcast kind of news. Put down what you're doing. But it's not just important news, it's powerful news. The Apostle Paul says that if you hold to it, you will be saved. It's news that can bring someone from death to life, make beautiful things out of broken things. It's powerful news, and it's news about Jesus, about a person who has entered into history. The gospel is good news about Jesus. But I love that the Apostle Paul, writer of most of the New Testament, says this is the thing of first importance. I think what he's saying is something like when we fall in love with a piece of music and we play it over and over and over again so that it goes from our heads to our hearts, he's saying this is what we must do with the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the good news I preached to you. You received it, you put your faith in it. Because you believe the good news, you are saved, but you must hold firmly to the message I preached to you. If you don't, you have believed it for nothing. What I received, I pass on to you, and it is the most important of all. Other translations have, it is of first importance. The gospel is what we play over and over and over again in our churches, in our hearts, so that this good, important, powerful news goes from something we know to something we love. But the question must be asked, what is the gospel? Well, Paul very helpfully has laid it out for us. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the Scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. This is the good news story. So let's work through it line by line. That Christ died for our sins. Jesus did lots of incredible things in his life. He healed people. He said incredible things. He stood up for the marginalized and the lost. He pushed against the powerful. But the, the, the witness of the Bible is that the most important thing Jesus did, or well, one of the most important things Jesus did was to die. That can be a hard thing to wrap our head around. Often when we go to a funeral, we celebrate someone's life, not their death. And yet Christians celebrate the death of Jesus. So we might very well ask the question, why do we celebrate the death of Jesus? Well, it's because the Bible from first to last points to the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He didn't just die, he died for something. Now, I understand that when we talk about sin, that's something that we don't like talking about. And yet, if we open our eyes, sin and the effects of sin are everywhere. One of the books that I read to my kids says that sin spoils beautiful things. And you don't have to spend very long on social media or on the news to see that our world is full of beautiful things that have been spoiled. Things that are not the way they are meant to be. Wars, violence, corruption. Our world is not the way it was meant to be. And yet it's not just out there. In our more honest moments, we would have to say too that I am not the way I was meant to be. I am not who I'm meant to be. You are not who you're meant to be. I know for certain that if there was, imagine for a moment that there was a a movie playing And all it did was tell the truth about who you really were. That it displayed what you'd really thought when no one else was around. What you really did when you thought no one else could see. What you really believed. Were there any one of us who, if that movie came on right now in front of all these people, who'd feel comfortable enough to say in their seats? I dare say that if that movie came on, I'd come and I'd I'd sit down next to Sam and I'd say, Sam... I don't know if you know this. I actually have an identical twin brother. His name is Yimmy Jung. Uh, that's definitely him on the screen. Well, he, he's always doing the wrong things. He's always doing the wrong things. I've never done the wrong thing, Sam. <laughs> but it's not just what we do. It's our hearts. It's what we love. See, we don't, do just, we don't do bad things because we hate doing it. We actually do the wrong thing because we love doing the wrong thing. We love rebelling against God. We love sin. And that's why it's such good news, what Paul describes, that Christ died for our sins because God knows who you really are. God knows what you really do, what you really think. When no one else is watching, God sees 
And yet he loves you enough to die. The witness of the New Testament is that God, Christ, died for sinners. And I know that's who I am. And so it's very good news indeed that Christ died for someone like me. Imagine for a moment that the Liverpool, Liverpool football team has called you up. They're in crisis. To be honest, they need someone after the results they've been having. They've called you up to play on the field. It's the last game of the season and they've put you into the midfield. After five minutes, you can't do anything anymore. You can't run. You can't kick. You've kicked four balls out of the ball in the full. You've fallen over three times. The best thing that someone could do is to have the coach substitute you off the field and put someone on in your place. That's the witness of the Bible, is that Jesus has been our substitute, not for the Liverpool football team, but for all the things that we've done that are offences to God. That is good news, that God has seen us, seen who we really are, and Jesus came to die in our place. But that's not the only thing that Paul says about this news. He says that he was buried. Now, it's interesting. He died and was buried. He says twice, in essence, that Jesus died. He says he died and also he really, really died because you don't bury alive people. And there's often theories that go around, particularly around Easter and Christmas, that maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe something else happened. Maybe someone nicked the body. Maybe Jesus just kind of fainted. It's just, it's incredible. There is no credible New Testament scholar who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth died on the cross. They might not believe in his resurrection, but they believe, yes, the most likely answer is that he died for real. You only have to read history for a little bit to know that Rome was particularly good at a couple of things. They built incredible roads. They had incredible political power and military power, and they were exceptionally good at killing people. They invented new ways to kill people all the time. They weren't in the practice of just letting someone nick the body. They weren't in the practice of going, ah, yeah, close enough. Rome were in the habit of really, really killing people. And so the witness of Paul is that he was buried, that Jesus really, really died. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Again and again, if you read the New Testament, you will see witness to the fact that Jesus Christ, the God-man, died and rose again and was seen by many. And it's interesting what Paul does, because he essentially just lays out a big list of people who Jesus has been seen by. So he was raised on the third day, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What is he doing? What is Paul doing here? Well, imagine for a moment that something terrible has happened. Something horrible has happened to me. I've died. I was in a big car accident, and I passed away. 
We had the funeral. Everyone came. Everyone mourned. Everyone grieved. Everyone processed what an incredibly humbling person I was. True. And then all of a sudden, you get a phone call that says, hey, I've just seen Jimmy. He was down at the shops. Well, you'd probably say, well, you didn't see Jimmy. You saw a generic white man with beard. Uh, you probably didn't see him. But what if you got a second phone call? You probably start pinching yourself, wondering if you're in a dream. What if you got a third phone call? What if you got a fourth phone call, a fifth phone call, a hundred phone calls, 500 phone calls? You would start to wonder what is going on. You'd start to ask questions. You'd start to wonder what on earth has happened here. I was at the funeral. I saw him be buried. How on earth can he be appearing in a supermarket? Well, Paul is doing the same thing with Jesus. He's saying, here's the list of all the people who have seen Jesus after his death and burial. Go ask them. He's putting his head on the chopping block and says, if you don't believe me, go ask Cephas, go ask the apostles, go ask me, go ask James, go ask any one of the 500 people who say they've seen Jesus rise from the dead. He's providing a witness stand. He's saying, go ask them. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected. This is the story that we have been baptized into if you hold to Christ. This is the story in which we love. This is the story in which we play over and over and over again in our hearts and in our churches. This is the story that Zachary and Nathan and Isaac have been baptized into. And so I want to say three things to three different groups of people here this morning to help us think about how we might keep the gospel on repeat. And the first, first group I want to speak to is those who wouldn't claim to be Christians. They're here this morning, they've been invited in, and can I say, we love the fact that you are here. We love the fact that you've come in, even though this might be uncomfortable for you, that this might be strange, I get it. I was on a group ride uh, the other day and I was talking to someone I hadn't met before and he asked me what I did and I said, I'm a minister. And he said, oh, you're a bit young to be in politics, aren't you? <laughs> right? I, I get that this can all be strange and out of the ordinary. But can I invite you to remember one thing? Remember to look around this morning at the gathered people here because they are witnesses that something has changed their life. Something is different in their life because of this news that we've talked about. Something is different in their life because of what they've heard about Jesus. And so be curious. I heard a statistic the other day that if you took every single person over the course of a month who either went to an AFL match an NRL match, a super rugby match, or an A-League match, if you put them all together, that is half the amount of people who go to church once a month. Right? That is a lot of witnesses to the fact that something is different in their life because of this man, Jesus, because of this news about him. Now, can I just invite you to do something for me? Ask a question. If there's someone who invited you here this morning, ask them, 
What is it about Jesus that's changed your life? What is it about this news? Why do you call yourself a Christian? You don't need to particularly listen to the answer if you don't want to, but be curious because something is different in our lives because of this message. But I also want to talk to the families, to Kylie and Travis, to Sarah and myself, and to be honest, to anyone who's had their kids baptized. I've often heard the uh, analogy that baptism is a bit like fire insurance. Right? You get your kids baptized to tick them off to make sure they're good with God in case something happens. That's not what baptism is. The 13 articles that are the guiding doctrine of the Anglican Church are very clear that baptism is a sign. It points to something greater. For, for Zachary, for Nathan and Isaac, they point to the fact that they are part of God's family this morning through the faith of their parents. And our prayer is that the promise that have been made on their behalf this morning become their promise. That our promises that we have made become their promises. That they love and trust Jesus forever. And so the call for us as a family is to keep the gospel on repeat in our homes again and again and again. We keep the gospel on repeat in potty training and in puberty. We keep the gospel on repeat in our homes during times of disobedience and times of great joy. We keep it on repeat so that this story that we've heard this morning gets baked into their lives so that they will see that this story has changed our lives, the life of our family. I'm very aware this morning that what I'm doing right now is most people's worst fear. There's an old Jerry Seinfeld joke that he tells that most people's, second greatest, oh, most people's second greatest fear is death. But their first greatest fear is public speaking. And so the punchline goes that if you're at a funeral, most people would prefer to be in the casket than giving the eulogy. That's not the case for me. This is not hard. Like, I like speaking in front of people. Do you know what makes me nervous, though? Is the fact that I've got two little kids who watch everything that I do. And they listen to what I say. And if there is a gap between what I say up here and who I am at home, they get a front row seat to that. They get a front row seat to our hypocrisy as parents. Now, you don't need to be a public speaker to know that our kids see the difference between who we'd like to be and who we really are. So what do we do? We keep the gospel on repeat. We make grace the center of our homes and not the law. That means that we are not crushed as parents when we fall short of who we'd like to be. And yet we pray that as we are transformed day by day, week by week, year by year, by the good news of Jesus, that as they witness that change, that they may look upon that and go, there is something there that I want in my life. I want the gospel. We keep the gospel on repeat for them and we keep the gospel on repeat for ourselves. But it's not just for non-Christians and it's not just for families or people who have had kids baptized. The gospel is for the church. It's of first importance, church. That means it's the first thing that we consider. It's the first thing that we should be known for, to keep the gospel on repeat. We don't get distracted and we don't advance past the gospel. It's the thing that we say again and again and again. We have the gospel in our songs. We have the gospel in our sermons. We have the gospel in our prayers. We have the gospel in our kids' ministries. We have the gospel when we meet in our homes. We have the gospel 
over lunch. We love the gospel again and again and again, not just so that we know it in our heads, but that it penetrates to our hearts. You know, there's a, there's a classic uh, a bit or an understanding that if any minister asks you a question, if you just reply Jesus, there's a very good chance that you'll be right. We love the predictable Jesus bit. We love Jesus being the answer. We love looking at him, thinking about him, dwelling on him. So church, let's make sure that the first thing is the first thing, that we haven't moved past the gospel. And can I encourage you to do something this week? I know there are a lot of people who've grown up in church a long time and have heard this message over and over and over again. And we start to become a little bit inoculated against it at times. We've heard this bit. We've heard the predictable Jesus bit. Okay, we get it. All right. Jesus died. Jesus lived. Jesus rose again. I understand. Well, can I, can I encourage you to do one thing for me? Just take 20 minutes this week to dwell upon the grace that has saved you. Think about who you really are. Think about what you're really like and to think about the grace that God has given to you. Think about how Jesus has died for your sins, that Jesus was buried on your behalf, that Jesus rose again so that you might have new life. And I encourage you as you dwell upon that, as you sit upon that, as you reflect, my prayer is that the gospel melts your heart again. Church, let's keep the gospel on repeat. It's the thing of first importance. So I'm going to pray right now for us that it would be, that it wouldn't just be what we say, but it's what we love. So let me pray for us now. God, we thank you. We thank you for the baptisms that we've witnessed today, but we know that they are a sign to something even greater. They're a sign pointing to your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins, being our substitute, being buried on our behalf and rising to new life. God, we pray that this story would become our story, that it's not just something that we know, but something that we love, something that we cherish, something that our lives are built around, not just individually, but as a church, as we go out into our homes, that the gospel, this good news of Jesus, changes us. God, we pray for those in our life who wouldn't call themselves Christians. We pray that as they see us, they might be curious. Give them a curious mind to ask questions, to inquire. God, we pray for our families that when everything is going well and when everything is falling apart, that the, the, the message coming out of our lips might be the gospel and grace and Jesus again and again and again. And God, as a church, would we be a church that cherishes the gospel, cherishes the good news, cherishes the message of Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to many. God, let us not just know this. Let us love that. We need your help, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.